All right. Well, thank you for those great songs and uh, Christmas songs. It's certainly that time of uh, the year. And those songs are a great reminder about who Jesus is and about his coming. And the fact is that the coming of Christ to this earth has global, eternal significance. Even in the passage I read today about Jesus' coming is good news of great joy for all peoples. So the coming of Christ really speaks to us even today, not just about um, lights and gifts, but about the mission of the church. A couple of months ago, we had scheduled a uh, three-part Sunday night class or course on the work of the church, the mission of the church with Dr. Rusty Osborne. And uh, the third night, which was to be about global missions, um, I chickened out. There was a, a call for a tornado, possibly. And so we canceled that. No tornado, no Dr. Osborne, no third course. So when we were rescheduling that, I just asked if he would come and on a Sunday morning share with us as we kick off the month of December and our international missions offering, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and focus on the international scope of the mission of the church. I said, would you come on a Sunday morning? And he is, has been gracious enough to do that. So Dr. Osborne, you come. And as he comes, I will tell you, uh, uh, Dr. Osborne is uh, a professor at the College of the Ozarks in the Biblical Studies Department, teaches theology. I know probably some in here may have even had his uh, course, or maybe your uh, children or grandchildren have. Also with Dr. Osborne is his lovely family, uh, his wife Sarah, and their four children. We want to welcome you here today as well. Thank you for being here, and I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah, thanks. Well, good morning, uh, brothers and sisters. It's good to be with you. I've uh, just enjoyed singing Christmas songs and um, rejoicing in the truth. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. And as I was thinking about this morning's message and thinking about the context of the church's mission in light of Christmas, it might seem to some like an odd mix, right? Like we're gathered here, we're surrounded by trees and lights, and we're celebrating the, the birth of Jesus. What does this have to do with missions or what we think of as global missions? But as we get going, I mean, in, in many ways... What we are doing this morning is taking Jesus' words very seriously in John 20, 21. And in John 20, 21, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, Just as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And so as we come here and we look at these lights and the Christmas trees and the lights and we sing about the Word of God incarnate now in flesh appearing... That God sent His Son into the world. Brothers and sisters, we have to receive the commission of our Lord. So I am sending you. So when we think about the church's mission, it is bound up in the Christmas story. And in fact, this morning we want to think about uh, the church's mission of, of transformation among the nations. Now, if, is the present, yeah, let's, let's roll the next slide here. So sorry, I don't usually have my clicker here. As we think about the, the church's mission, sometimes when, we, um, sometimes when we think about this idea of Christian missions, we, our mind immediately jumps to kind of 18th century uh, missionaries loading up on boats with sails and heading east, right? I mean, we think about the, the icons of Christian missions like William Carey or Adoniram Judson or some of these others that spent their life sailing uh, to foreign lands to tell people about Jesus. And certainly, uh, that's an important idea 
of Christian missions. But we need to start our reflection on how we as the church live out God's mission by recognizing that the mission of the church is to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all peoples. And I'm borrowing this definition here from Craig Ott in a nice little book called The Church on Mission. And in this definition, I think Ott points us to some basic facts. We've come together and we were just singing, Jesus reigns over all the earth. And if we believe that, can we just declare it in this room? Can we just declare it in this community? Certainly, we want to talk about the reign of Christ over all things, that he is holy, holy, holy. And the church's mission is to take that message everywhere. Everywhere that we go. And to bring glory to God. In fact, there's a a great kind of one-line introduction uh, in this book called Let the Nations Be Glad, written by uh, a man you may know of, John Piper. And he says this, that missions exists because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't. And that is that, what's the goal? What's the goal of the church's mission? It is global, eternal praise. We'll praise your name forever, we just sang. That's the heart of the church's mission. Global, eternal praise. And so we also recognize in this definition, it's multiplying transformational churches. We want churches that transform not only individuals' lives, but nations among all peoples. And so while the mission of the church certainly embraces our lives here in northwest Arkansas, it embraces southwest Missouri where I live, it embraces the United States, it extends to the far reaches of the world. And this morning, we want to specifically talk about the global aspect of the church's mission and how we think about that as Christians, how we uh, involve ourselves in that effort to proclaim his name forever among all peoples. And in order to do this, first thing we want to do is reflect on what the Bible tells us about God's heart for the nations. So if we look at a a few passages, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and we're going to do a little bit of uh, jumping around here. It might feel, you know, like Bible drill. I don't know if anybody still remembers that. I have many memories of drawing swords uh, and commencing in Bible drill. Uh, But if you will, uh, turn to Genesis 128. Let's grab this next slide here and you can kind of see where we're going. One of the things that we want to recognize first and foremost is that God's heart is for the world and it always has been. When we think about the global mission of the church, this is not just a New Testament phenomenon. Now I do have to confess here uh, that I am kind of by trade an Old Testament guy and so uh, perhaps I'm a little bit sensitive on this issue. But too often people think, oh, the, the mission comes in the New Testament. That God only cares about Israel in the Old Testament. And we get this global mission for the nations in the New. And I just want to take a couple of verses and show you that's not true. The Old Testament has a glorious vision of God's heart for his entire world. So look with me there in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and increase in number. Fill the earth 
and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And I just point us to this familiar verse to show us that God blessed Adam and Eve and he wanted them to experience the fullness of life that he had created them for. That was God's design. It wasn't, just for, it wasn't just for one specific people. It was for Adam and Eve and all of their children. But unfortunately, we know that that blessing intended for Adam and Eve did not play out very long, right? And it's only in Genesis chapter 3 that that blessing gets transformed into curse because of the disobedience of our first parents. And if we kind of walk a little bit through those first chapters of Genesis, uh, what looked like eating forbidden fruit in chapter 3 turns into cold-blooded murder in chapter 4, which becomes the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually in chapter 6. And so God cleanses his world through sending a great flood. And then he raises up uh, Noah, who he would continue his promise of blessing to. And were we to flip over to Genesis chapter 9, we see that same blessing given again. God wants to bless his creatures and starts with Noah's family. But unfortunately, we learn from Noah and the Tower of Babel that the curse and sin is not gone. And so then in Genesis chapter 12, God decides that he's going to work through one man's family to bring about his desire to bless people. So flip over to Genesis chapter 12 and let's read about this one man, Abram. And we don't know a whole lot about Abram. All we know is that he lived in Mesopotamia in a place called Ur and God spoke to him. And in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, uh, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Right? That God's plan for Abram was a global plan. Abram was the father of the nation of Israel, but Abram and Israel had a bigger role to play in God's purposes than to just be the frozen chosen sitting in the promised land doing nothing. They were to reveal the glory of God to the nations. And in fact, this promise in Genesis chapter 12 is, Abram won from your line will be the means of blessing of all the families of the earth. And then just flip over to Psalms. Let's look at one great psalm here as we uh, look at Israel's songbook reflecting on their worship of their God. We see God's heart for the nations in Psalm 67. So just turn briefly over to Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all peoples. The psalmists are saying, oh God, bless us, but not to provide comfort, not to just give us what we want. Bless us so that your salvation goes out to the nations. 
May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. So I I hope just in three verses you see that from the very beginning, the God of the Bible is concerned with the peoples of this earth. That when we think about this, perhaps we have renewed context for verses like John 3.16. For God so loved the world, or God loved the world in this way that he sent his only son. Right? That we see this loving God that is for the nations throughout the Old Testament scriptures. And that culminates in this moment that we're celebrating this season when God sent his son as a light among the darkness, as we see in the Gospels. So let's now, we, now that with our, our Old Testament kind of background, let's look at some of these passages maybe we're familiar with in the New Testament. If we can get, grab that next slide, we'll look at a few, few texts here that show us how the church's mission is global. Right? So flip over with me to Matthew 28. And this is the, a, a text, if you've uh, been around church for any time, uh, you know, the Bible I'm using right here, it says the Great Commission. This is the one, right? The, the commission where we are sent out. And we see that Jesus calls his, his, his disciples to make disciples of all nations. And he says, when they saw, in verse uh, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? And so Jesus in these final words of Matthew's gospel reassures his followers like God has done all throughout the scriptures that they can go forward in confidence because he will be with them. God's presence is going with them. But if we look at what's, what's he commanding them to do, it says to make disciples of all nations, uh, Panta ta ethne, in the Greek text, ethne, you might, where we get the word ethnic, right? That this is the word here. So when we think about our mission to the world, oftentimes missiologists and those studying missions will talk about people groups. And I'll mention that, that phrase here in a little bit. Uh, the idea of a people group. And why do we want to talk about people groups? Well, because we understand that just because people live in one geopolitical country, it doesn't mean that they are all the same. My family and I had the opportunity to serve in Cameroon in West Africa, where I taught at the Cameroon Baptist Theological Seminary. And interesting fact about Cameroon, it's not a very big country. Uh, if you, you have no idea where it is, if you think of Africa, the big elephant ear that kind of comes down, it's right in the corner next to Nigeria. Not a very big country. I think the, the Wycliffe Bible translators identified something around 250 languages in a country that's not nearly the size of Texas, right? I mean, that's massive. And so it's like, okay, how do we want to start talking about reaching the nations? Well, we've got a missionary in Cameroon. Does that mean that they're going to be effective in communicating this message to everyone? No, not when you have these types of culture and linguistic barriers, right? So the, the, the call here is to make disciples of all nations, reflecting on them as 
people groups baptizing and teaching. And so we see that playing out as part of our mission. And then flip over to Matthew 24. Flip back there to Matthew 24. Jesus' words in the Olivet Discourse where he's talking to his uh, disciples. Now, sometimes this, this text gets taken in different ways. In Matthew 24, 14... Matthew 24, 14, Jesus is talking about the coming uh, challenges that the church is going to experience. But then we get this great verse. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom, and this gospel of the kingdom. And we could say, what is that gospel of the kingdom? It is the good news that God's king has come to reconcile the lost to himself and to bring us into right relationship with God. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, sometimes this verse gets used to say, okay, uh, let's do our task and then God will bring the end, right? Like, okay, let's get this done so that the end will come. Well, I don't think that God is necessarily obligated to our timeline. And I think that we have to be careful to, to say, all right, God, we did our part now. You know, we've got our eye on the clock here. We've done this. Now, where are you? I don't think that this verse should be seen as a way that we can kind of usher in the end, but certainly this verse gives us a clear picture of what we should be doing until Christ returns. Proclaiming this gospel of the kingdom as a testimony to the whole world. And then one final picture as we think about the end time and the nations. Flip over to Revelation 7. Revelation 7. starting in verse 9. And I think this is a, a powerful picture for us about the global mission of the church and that John is revealed kind of the end. This is, what, this is what it's going to culminate in. What we just did here as a church, singing and praising and gathering together, living in community to bring glory to God, this is a picture of what it's going to look like one day in Revelation 7, starting in verse 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. That's God's vision. That's the vision that he gives to John to tell us. What is, the, what, what is this going to look like when the kingdom comes in its fullness it's going to look like more than people can count from every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and now we have to say okay if God says this is what eternity is going to look like then we know that God has a people for himself in this world that's an important principle in fact, in the book of Acts, Paul is given a vision where God tells him, I have so many people in this city that belong to me. And you know what that encouraged Paul to do? To go to work. 
to say God has a people for himself in this city. It's my task to go proclaim this message and to find him. And Revelation 7 tells us the same thing. God has a people in this world. Now it's our task, Christians, to find them, to proclaim this message of the gospel to them, that they will be brought in to this eternal worship of the king. So having looked at a few verses here, maybe about six verses, thinking about God's heart for the nations, the Old Testament, the the global aspect of the church's uh, mission in the New Testament, one of the things that we have to recognize is that this is imperative. We don't get to opt out. As Christians, we don't get to say, this isn't a priority to me. God's mission for the church now flows out of his own character for his people. To say, I don't care about the lost is to say, I don't want to reflect this God. To say, I'm not concerned with the church's mission is to say, I'm not concerned with why Jesus came into the world. This is bound up with who we are as God's people. Being a Christian is not just church attendance. It's not just coming here and worshiping for us. This actually has a part of God's mission. We come and gather and sing and declare praise so that we go out and live out that testimony as well. It's a whole life lived for God's glory. Now, I want to turn from kind of the biblical perspective and let's look a little bit at some current aspects of the global mission today. Okay, so in the next slide, oh, look, look at that, they're on me. All right, so we can think, okay, yes, you know, Rusty, I'm tracking with you. I believe that missions is important for the church. I believe that God has a people for himself all over the world, but what do we do about it? Well, I think the first thing that we need to recognize is the world that we're living in has changed from when a lot of times we think about missions, Right, so in the, uh, the last 300 years, I mean, really a lot of people talk about the rise of global missions with uh, this individual, William Carey, uh, who, who traveled to India, planted churches, was a, was a, a very important figure in uh, kind of laying a foundation for global missions. And in fact, many people call him the father of modern missions, But what happened in the wake of William Carey in the 17 and 18 and 1900s is we had a lot of people from the West, that is Europe and England and Americas, traveling to the East, traveling to all these other directions, right? Because Christianity in the 1700s was primarily in the West. I'll show you a stat here in a second. And so what happened was the idea was we in the West need to take Christianity and take the gospel to other parts of the world. And here's the good news. That was largely successful. That was successful. So that when we look at the 21st century today, we see an explosion of global Christianity. Christianity is no longer just in the West. It is all over the place. If you'll hit me with the next slide here. Uh, When we think about Christians in the world... In the 1700s, over 90% of Christians lived in Europe or the Americas. I mean, that's pretty staggering. And that's why so many of our missionaries for several centuries went from Europe and America to the other parts of the world. But that's radically different in the 21st century. So that we now see approximately 15% of professing Christians live in the West. 
just kind of let that sink in. Because I think we still think about Christian missions assuming that 90% of Christians live in America. Or 90% of the global Christian population lives in Europe and America or looks like you. But here's the 21st century reality of global Christianity. The average, average Christian in America, were you to just think, okay, where's an average Christian in the world today? It would look like somebody in an underground church in China, India, or a woman carrying water on her head in sub-Saharan Africa, or somebody riding a donkey in South America. Almost every continent in the world now has more Christians numerically than we do in the than we do in the West. And this is not to say, you know, I don't want you to hear this as like a downer, like, oh well, in America, I guess we've just dropped the ball. There are lots of reasons we can talk about these statistics. All I want you to know is that they're true, and that the average Christian in the world today doesn't look like me and you. So what does that mean? That means that, if you'll go to the next slide, we need to think about the gospel as not going from the west to the rest, but from everywhere to everywhere. And so what we're seeing is missionaries leaving places like Korea and going to London to plant churches. 250 years ago, people were leaving London to go to Korea to plant churches. There are people leaving the Middle East to go to Africa to plant churches. There are people leaving India to go to South America to plant churches. There are people leaving the Eastern Church to come to America to plant churches. And I want, here's a litmus test for you to determine, am I prepared to engage with a global mission that sees the churches from everywhere to everywhere Are we offended by the fact that a Japanese missionary would come to Arkansas to plant a church? I think we have to ask ourselves the question, would we be like, well, I'm not on board with that. We need Americans doing this. And certainly we do. But the reality is that the church is all over the world. And God is moving in all kinds of places in all kinds of ways. And we need to be supportive of where the gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed by whoever is proclaiming it. And should God use international missionaries to build the church in America to Jesus be the glory? And let us be supportive in whatever role we can play. Now I think we certainly have a role to play in the evangelization and the uh, you know, reaching our own people. But we see that the situation has changed in global Christianity. The next slide here points us to the fact that even though Christian missions has been incredibly successful for a long time, there is still a profound lostness in the world. Okay? The last 300 years of Christian missions have not eradicated lostness. There are still millions of people, actually billions as you'll see there at the bottom, of people who do not know Christ and who are not currently engaged by someone for the sake of the gospel. So uh, this, is, this is updated as to October 2021 on the International Mission Board's website. 4,769 people groups are in the world today that have less than 2% of an evangelical, less than 2% are evangelical Christians. 
Okay, so this is their definition of what they would call an unreached people group. A group of people, an ethnic group, of, a, a linguistic ethnic group that less than 2% of this population are evangelical Christians. And when we say evangelical, that is they believe the Bible, they believe that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, uh, they believe that they, one needs to be converted to be saved, what we would kind of think of as a very broad Christian understanding. Less than 2%. And among those 4,769 people groups, no church planting effort has taken place in the past two years. So in two years, among this one billion people, 12% of the global population, no one in two years has tried to plant a church, and less than 2% of those people are evangelical Christians. So th there's still work to be done. We can't sit back and go, well, man, the last 300 years, modern mission movement's been great. We get lots of good news from the front lines. And by all means, there is tons of good news to celebrate with looking at the expansion of global Christianity. But brothers and sisters, we're, we're still called to a task that's not yet complete. And so what does that look like? What does that look like? What are some of the, the current mission strategies that we see playing out in the world today? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is that if there are Christian communities in other places in the world, we have a role to play in the West. While the Western church is no longer the biggest church in the world, we still have a lot of resources. We still have a lot of educated people. We still have a lot of money. We still have a lot of things that can help the church globally. And so our role in the West is shifting a little bit to where we are needed to provide leadership development. I was, uh, I guess about three years ago, teaching in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia and went with an organization for a pastor training conference. And when I was there, had an Ethiopian pastor tell me this. He said, go home and tell people, we don't need missionaries to plant churches anymore. I thought, really? And he said, almost everyone I talk to in Ethiopia says they're a Christian, but none of us know what that means. He said, the Ethiopia is, is largely a Christian population, but there's no one to lead them. And he said, we need, I need you to go home and tell your people, bring people over here that know how to train leaders. We need Ethiopian Christian leaders. And that is the case in much of the world. They have people there who are doing evangelism. And in fact, this same guy told me, he said, if we were to go up to northern Ethiopia today, you would be kidnapped in three hours. He said it would take about three hours. They would see you in a car, we'd get pulled over with machine guns, and you'd be kidnapped. It's not safe. I can go to northern Ethiopia because my mother's tribe is up there, and I can move there, I can live there, I can evangelize, I can do lots of things you can't do. And we're seeing that happen with global Christianity. So, so we have to think, how can we provide leadership development? And how can we enter into partnership with Christians on the ground? We're no longer going into nations and civilizations where uh, no one knows anything. 
oftentimes we're working with communities that are already trying to do things. Now, I just gave you the statistic that there's these 4,769 people groups. Well, there are other communities around those groups where people are and can be trying to make efforts. So how can we partner with perhaps local people groups? How can we partner with nations next to these places? How do we recognize what's going on in the world and create long-term commitments to work together? And I think that's one of the things that we see is becoming an increasing part of our role in the church's global mission. How do we enter into long-term commitments with Christians around the world? How do we say, you know, I want to partner with you through financial support. I want to partner with you through prayer. We want to partner with you as a church by sending support in whatever way is helpful for you. How can we create these types of relationships that help us support the work of the church that's already going on around the world? It's not us getting on a plane and flying to a country and saying, hey, y'all, we're here. We're here, we're going to do some stuff and it's going to be great and we're going to fix things and we're going to build things and we're going to do things and it's all better because we're here. Sometimes that doesn't create good working partnerships, does it? Perhaps you have, can think of an example of somebody kind of stepped into something you're doing and said, I'm here, I'm ready to fix it. And you're like, well, you know what? We've been kind of doing this for a while and you probably have no idea what you're talking about. So so we have to think about how we can partner with others around the world, which leads us to the last slide here. How do we help? How do we help? And I think the first thing we must be willing to do is we must be humble. We must recognize that we are a part of a global community. We are a part of a, of a body of Christ that isn't just here, that's around the world. And we say, how can we help people do what they're already doing. And it might mean that church in this place that we're looking at looks significantly different than the way that we would do it, right? Maybe you might go somewhere or you might see somebody doing a ministry and you're like, man, I, that's crazy. I would never do that. Well, it's not your church. It's not your culture and it's not our people group, right? I mean, like we have to be willing to be humble and not assume that we have the world's answers to all things Christian, and we, we have to struggle with that sometimes. And when we're humble, we are able to listen and then to serve. And as we engage the world with the, the mission of the church, we have to be willing to go into communities and ask questions and say, how can we help? Are there ways we can connect? Are there ways we can partner? What does it look like to listen to people? Uh, so often, I've talked with missionaries internationally who have created partnerships with churches. And what ends up happening is that the missionary has to actually stop doing their work on the field to turn into a, uh, a tour guide slash host for an American team for two to three weeks and then deal with the aftermath of all of that. And I've asked people in the field, like, you know, what's the deal? And they say, well, churches want to come on mission trips, and so we just have to kind of come up with something for people to do, and then uh, we stop doing what we're doing, and then they go back home, and then we're kind of able to, to, uh, to go back to the field. 
And I tell you that, not as a, you know, like, yeah, American churches, we always mess this up. But there is a pattern that very few churches are willing to say, let's listen first. If we're going to partner with someone, let's ask them how we can help them. We don't need to like make a phone call like, hey, we saw you're a missionary in this place. We've got a group of people. We're looking for a trip. These are the dates. Uh, uh, can we do some stuff? All right, great. We're, we're booking tickets today. Like that, and then the missionary's like, oh my gosh, I got to come up with something for 15 people to do, right? I mean, we want to say, how can we serve you? And they may say, you know what? Right now, we're in a place where we have a core group of five people and we are pouring into them and God is working in their souls. And so we would just ask that your church commit not just in lip service, but commit to pray that God would be gracious and have mercy on these five believers because if they are gripped by the gospel, all of a sudden what we're doing here explodes. And we have to say as a church, are we prepared to engage with the global mission like that or do we just want to get on a plane? And I would say that if we believe in the power of the Spirit and we believe in the global work of God, then we should be willing to gather in Valley Springs and pray for the nations, to pray for the salvation of people that we don't see, but we know that God is working in their lives. Because we know that that's how the mission unfolds. God's people praying for salvation. And partnerships that look like supportive Partnerships also sometimes include financial giving. And the, the joy that I have this morning in speaking to you as an outside guest on this subject is like, I have no idea what your church gives to. I have no clue. I've never looked at your budget. I've never looked to see where your money's going personally. I have no idea what you're doing. So if I offend you, it's, it's only by the Spirit. I have no clue. But I can tell you this, we as individuals have to ask ourselves what is reflected by the way that we spend our money about the priorities of our hearts, right? Is there, is there any way, shape, or form that I am financially supporting the work of God around the world? And that's something we all have to wrestle with, but not just individually. I would encourage the, whatever the budget committee at this church looks like, I don't know what that looks like, but start looking at things like what percentage of money put in an offering plate ends up somewhere else supporting the mission of the church globally. And talk about it and pray over it and think what amount do we as a church want to commit to say such and such percent of what a person gives to FBC Valley Springs is going to exalt the name of Jesus in places where it's not being exalted today. And I would encourage you prioritize that. We are a wealthy nation and I know that it's so easy to say that. We sit here and we're like, yeah, well, I could use an extra thousand bucks. We all could. But when you compare our lifestyles to the way that brothers and sisters are living around the world, friends, there's nothing to compare. And so the question we have to ask is, how am I going to be a good steward of the resources God has given me to certainly minister to the community in which we are a part of, but to not abdicate, to not forget the work of our brothers and sisters around the world to seeing Jesus declared in hard places in difficult places, 
And when you're going into a place and when you're living in a place that you don't know if you're going to be safe, the last thing you want to have to worry about is can we buy food for our family? I mean, there are missionaries right now in places where they are literally fearing for their lives. We experienced that a little bit when we were in Africa. The place where we were uh, had no police. It was kind of a wild west of Africa. And I can tell you one thing. My wife and I would, would pray going to bed at night. And we would pray, oh God, protect us while we sleep. And I can tell you I've never prayed that prayer in such a sincere way for so, such a long time. There are people in, in real threat and we can say, they have sacrificed, they have given. How can we support them in that work as believers? So let me close us in prayer and ask that God give us clarity and wisdom as to how we as the church here can help see Jesus' name proclaimed, this gospel of the kingdom declared to the whole world. Let's pray together. Lord, you are good. You are kind and you are saving and powerful. I pray that this morning as we think about your heart for the nations and we think about the way that you have commissioned us as your church to see your name declared among the nations that we would be renewed and refreshed with the reality that there are people declaring Jesus as Lord on every con nearly every continent on this world. That there are churches singing your praise today that were not there a hundred years ago. So Lord, we are thankful for the great work that has gone on and we pray that you would help us as we continue to think about how to serve you faithfully, to build our lives in a way that reflect the priorities of your kingdom in church and as individual families. Lord, I pray your blessings over First Baptist Valley Springs. I'm thankful for this group of brothers and sisters gathered here this morning. I'm thankful for the, the many commitments that I have heard about through interactions, about desires to see the lost come to salvation, about longing to engage uh, the world with the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would take the sparks in this community and that you would fan a flame of gospel passion for this church. That they would bring you glory. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Osborne. We appreciate him, and uh, I'm going to ask him and his family, they're going to be up here, maybe towards the front, if uh, any of you want to uh, talk about CFO. That's uh, dear to their hearts. Um, really quickly, Rusty mentioned two things that we know we can do. Uh, we can pray and we can give. The Southern Baptists have an organization called the International Mission Board, it is funded by a network of churches of which we are a part. And so the Lottie Moon Christmas offering is our way, one way, to partner with other Southern Baptists in um, being obedient to the Great Commission. So you've got two things in your bulletin. You've got a uh, IMB Lottie Moon Christmas offering envelope. If you would like to give in the month of December, that's when we take this up, you can put your offering in that envelope that goes straight 
to foreign missions through Southern Baptists. And there's also a prayer guide uh, there if you would like to pray for missions and missionaries. And then we're going to show a video right now, and then John's going to come and close us with announcements. This is a, a short video prepared by the International Mission Board about Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Thousands of people rallied Monday to protest last week's coup. The military rounded up the nation's democratically elected fire on large crowds in several hundreds were arrested. Despite the growing international condemnation. In the book of Acts and Acts chapter 12, there's a lot of geopolitical things that are happening that everyone would have been talking about, would have been dominating the headlines. And yet in the background behind all of that, without anyone realizing the kingdom of God was spreading like wildfire all over the known world at that time. We work in an area of Southeast Asia that's experiencing a lot of turmoil and upheaval right now, a lot of anger, a lot of fear. At the same time, we've seen opportunities to share the gospel. People are very hesitant to believe in a God that they can't see. People worship both the spirits and Buddha. But when the pandemic hit, then all of a sudden everyone was afraid and everyone's lives were being changed because of this virus that was unseen. Well, hey, you're scared of something that you can't see. Let me tell you about something that you can't see that will free you from that fear that will give you life. Just outside our city, there's a small village of about 50 people. We got connected to an elderly woman. Our national partner had been sharing the gospel with her. She said, I believe I'm in. And she has since been just an incredible force that God's used. In the last year and a half or two years, we're hearing stories of 30 homes in this village coming to faith and this entire village coming to faith and half of this village coming to faith. God's moving in some pretty exciting ways, but there's still a long way to go. Not knowing what the future holds has been really challenging. Even though there's upheaval and chaos in our region and around the world, we are more confident than we've ever been that this is exactly where we need to be. This is exactly what God has called us to do. In the background, maybe not making the headlines, people's lives will be changed, disciples will be made, and the kingdom of God will spread like wildfire. hope this morning that you've been challenged uh, and encouraged through God's Word. Appreciate the, the message this morning. Uh, if you're visiting with us for the first time uh, in front of you in the Bible, it should be a card. Uh, if you wouldn't mind filling that out, uh, if you have any questions about the church, you can see Brother Sean or myself. We'd be happy to, to talk with you, but you can put that on the card. Any prayer requests, that's a great place to put that on the card as well. And our offering boxes in the foyer uh, there on that table, that black box, and I invite you to do that. Of course, our Instagram, Facebook pages, you can follow us uh, along as those who have also been watching us on our live stream uh, as well. Just a, a few things, if you had a chance to pick up a bulletin this morning, um, just a few things. There is no choir practice tonight, so no choir practice. Our Thanksgiving uh, dinner uh, is tonight at 5 o'clock, and I think we had 200 and 205 RSVP for that, so we're looking forward to that tonight at 5 o'clock. And then uh, also... Uh, it's a really busy week uh, here at the church. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, we are handling the concession stand at uh, Valley Springs at the school for tomorrow night's games. Uh, there is a schedule and a sign-up sheet on the foyer. There's uh, several spots still available for that. If you would, uh, It's a good time to kind of serve the school and uh, also kind of hang out with each other. 
uh, and have a really good uh, a really good time of fellowship and also uh, working and serving alongside each other. So I invite you uh, to do that uh, there on the on the board. And if you have any questions about that, you can you can ask me about that. Uh, also, uh, this coming Wednesday night is our youth Christmas party. Uh, we are starting a little bit earlier. Uh, the youth room will be open at five, and then uh, we're kind of start at 5.30, but the, the actual, uh, with ornaments and stuff, but we'll actually start at 6 o'clock. So we're starting a little bit earlier, about a half hour earlier this uh, coming Wednesday night. And then also this coming Wednesday night, uh, youth, 7th through 12th grade, if you'd like to go to camp this summer, uh, there are a couple of options. We've had one meeting already. Uh, this will be kind of the last meeting for this, this year, uh, as deposits are due uh, in January, and you can come this Wednesday night at 7.30 in the youth room uh, to hear details uh, about that after July, after January 31st, the cost of camp will uh, go up. Uh, this coming Wednesday night for one is shop night. Our Pine Derby car races will be the 15th of December, and so this coming Wednesday night is shop night. I believe they sent stuff home, uh, notified the kids and parents uh, about that. We will, the youth as well will be racing that night, and uh, so youth, if you'd like a car, uh, you can see me on Wednesday. And then uh, this coming Thursday is our ladies' Christmas ornament exchange at uh, Miss D's house. And um, if you need information about that, you can uh, see one of us as well, Miss D. I don't know if Miss D here this morning. She's waving her hand back there. Want to wave it again? No? And uh, you can see her if you have any questions about that. And then uh, next Sunday at 3 o'clock, the youth, uh, we're going to Big Air. If you'd like to go, it's $15, and we'll be eating there. And um, you'll have some information about that. The permission slips will be available on Wednesday. So uh, a lot going on this week uh, here at the church uh, in the community and looking forward to that. Uh, but I believe uh, that's it. If you would stand with me and I will dismiss us in prayer this morning. Lord, this morning, what a, what a privilege and opportunity it is to gather as believers, Lord, to gather as a church, uh, to spend some time in your word, Lord. The, the challenge uh, this morning, the reminder for us that we are your messengers, that we are, as, as Christians, believers, are called to spread your word, whether it's across the street, uh, in another state, or around the world, that you, you call us uh, to do that as, as uh, our relationship and our faith with you. Lord, just uh, as we have all these things this coming week, Lord, that we have the opportunity uh, to witness and to share and to bear your image to others. And it's your name we pray. Amen.